Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. Amen. Good morning. Glad you joined us this morning as we worship together. And as we do each week, we uh, worship God and then open his word together and ask that question, God, what are you speaking into my life? What are you speaking into this world through your word? And then we worship in response. God, how do we respond to what you're speaking? And so you're going to want a Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, go on and open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we will be... Uh, We're in our current series, It's All About Jesus, as we look at this letter that was written 2,000 years ago that still speaks powerfully into our world today. And we realize in this new season, oh, before I begin, if you need a Bible, just slip up a hand. We have plenty of them. We'll pass out Bibles, and then you can follow along with us. And if you need a Bible, you can keep it if you want. So any Bible takers, my mom is passing them out. Good job, mom. Way to go. Yeah, give her a round of applause. Bonnie, she's amazing. She raised me. Uh, so Colossians 1, so we, are, we realize as we enter into this new season, in this new place, God doing a new thing with us and in us, and we feel like God is launching us into, uh, into his kingdom work for the sake of this city, that we wanted to come back to the main thing. This reminder that it's not about buildings, it's not about even ministry or programs, even good things, if it's not first and foremost all about Jesus. And so Paul writes a letter that has been called the pinnacle, the clearest picture, the highest picture of Jesus in the entire Bible. He wrote to a little church in a small town called Colossae. And now we read these words here in this small town called Monroe. Beginning in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So who is this king? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So who is this? This is Jesus. Jesus, the the image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells. It's all about Jesus. Several years ago, actually in 19, I'm sure I get the date right, 1950, 
1952, a young woman named Florence Chadwick stepped off of the coast of Catalina Island into the chilly, dark waters of the Pacific Ocean to swim across to the coast of California. Almost 30 miles in shark-infested waters. So this was the first time that young Florence had attempted such a feat. She'd already swum uh, both ways across the English Channel, and now she was going to conquer the cold, dangerous waters of the Pacific Ocean. So with a small fleet of boats surrounding her, Florence Chadwick stepped into the water and began her swim. But as she swam, about 18 hours into her swim, which first off, I don't swim for 18 minutes. Just comprehend that. 18 hours in, a fog started to come in uh, and take over the water. A fog so thick that she could hardly even see the boats that were right next to her, that were accompanying her across the ocean. She started to get exhausted. The temperatures dropped. Her body started to shut down emotionally, physically, mentally. She had nothing left. And finally, she just stopped swimming. And so uh, one of the, the crews in the boat that was right next to her reached in, grabbed her out of the water, and pulled her into the boat. And when they pulled her into the boat, at that point she realized that she'd already swum 28 and a half miles. There was only a half mile left for her to swim. And so later on in a press conference, she said, uh, as they were interviewing her, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And I tell you that story because I think it's a beautiful picture of what Colossians does. We live in a world where it's easy to get uh, surrounded, overwhelmed by the fog of this life, the chaos, the concerns and the cares, the crises and the confusion of this world and Colossians, it, it's sort of, it's God parting the fog, pulling us back so that we can see the shore. In fact, Paul says over and over again, I'm writing this to you so that you can be steadfast and persevere, that God would fill you with all the knowledge of him. In other words, so that we could see clearly, because by seeing Jesus clearly, we can follow Jesus fully. And by following Jesus fully, we can make it through this life and for life eternal. And so in this pinnacle passage, Jesus parts the fog and gives us a clear picture of Jesus. He begins actually with this amazing declaration that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, the one in whom we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. There's four things that Paul writes that Jesus does for us. He says that we're rescued, that we're brought into, that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven. Brilliant language, but it's also not new language. A few weeks ago, the Thursday before Easter, there were several, several of you that gathered in homes all across our community. And you celebrated what we remember every Sunday as the Last Supper. And at the end of this service, we'll take communion together, right? As that reminder, that eternal reminder, the presence of Jesus with us, the forgiveness of God for us. 
the, the invitation into a new covenant. But that whole <clears throat> act of, of communion began in that final meal that Jesus shared with his closest friends just hours before he was going to be betrayed, beaten, and crucified. And we know that in that Passover meal, Jesus took the common elements of Passover, and he said that for thousands of years, these things that you've been celebrating, pointing back to God and what he's done for us, the deliverance out of Egypt, out of slavery, were all actually pointing to me. You thought you were looking back to remember something. You're actually looking forward to what God was going to ultimately do in me. And so Jesus took that Passover cup and said, this is actually my blood. And he took that Passover bread and he said, this is actually my body. The whole time, this is what it's been about. And so now we look back and go, Jesus, amen, thank you. We remember, we receive. But the four cups of Passover that they would have celebrated for thousands of years that Jesus was fulfilling were based out of an exodus, God's declaration, his promise to the Israelites. He says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, out of slavery. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So there's four things that, that, uh, Moses is, or that God is telling the people through Moses that the Lord is about to do, right? He says, I will bring you out. There's deliverance. And so during Passover, that first cup of wine that you drink in the Passover meal, if you took part in a Seder meal, is the cup of deliverance. The second cup, I will free you. It's the cup of freedom. The third cup is, I will redeem you. It's a cup of redemption. And it's actually believed that that was the cup that Jesus held up and said, that cup of redemption, this is the one, this is my blood. And it's interesting, in the Passover meal, Jesus doesn't actually drink the fourth cup. If you remember, he says, I'm not going to drink of this until I'm fully in, the, the kingdom of God has fully arrived. In other words, the fourth cup, which is the cup of consummation, of oneness between God and his people, Jesus had not yet fulfilled because he hadn't gone to the cross yet. See, he, Jesus knew what it would take for his people to be reunited with God. It would take his death, his sacrifice. And so he didn't drink the fourth cup in that meal. And actually, it's believed that that fourth cup, he did finally drink. But you know when he drank it? You remember that part when Jesus hanging crucified on the cross? And it says that they offer him up sour wine. That Jesus drank that fourth cup as he hung on the cross. Forever combining his act of sacrifice with what God had been promising for thousands of years through that Passover picture. It's beautiful. So what Paul is doing here is he's just echoing that same language. And he's saying, this is what Jesus did. I will bring you out deliverance. Paul says he rescued you. I will free you freedom. Jesus, Paul says he brought us into. I will redeem you, that cup of redemption. Paul just says, in whom we have redemption. And finally, I will take you to be my people. That consummation, that oneness, Paul says, it's the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus' sacrifice that made a way for you and I to be eternally, forever, right now, connected, reconnected, one with God our Father, the creator of this universe. To be redeemed, washed clean, purified, 
freed. And if only we could live in light of that reality. If only like Florence Chadwick swimming across the Pacific Ocean, we could just remember he is right there and he is available and he is present. Not just Sunday morning when we get together. I mean, this isn't just about, you know, some interesting spiritual nuggets. This is about a way of living Monday morning at 6 a.m. as you head to work. Tuesday afternoon as you pick your kids up from school. Wednesday night as you sit down at the dinner table and have a conversation with your spouse or with some roommates and friends. This is about the presence and the power of God available to you right now. Do you believe that? I mean, what would that change if we knew the voice of God, the presence of God was as available as the person sitting next to you? So Paul, having given this declaration of what Jesus has done for us, now zooms out and says, now remember who he is. This wasn't just any ordinary rabbi, great teacher. This wasn't just an amazing prophet or miracle worker. This was, in fact, Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus was God putting on human skin. Sadie, uh, my wife, was... Part of her story of coming to, to Jesus is she met this girl, actually it was a girl in her drama class that, you know, Sadie, she would say, self-proclaimed, it's not me saying it, I wasn't there, but was just a total punk in high school. And so she was just, I mean, mean to this girl. This girl was known to be a Christian, yeah, one of those. And, and so Sadie didn't want anything to do with her, but this girl named Katie Mack uh, just wouldn't leave her alone. And Katie Mack just being kind to her, loving her, paying attention to her. Finally, Sadie opened her heart a little bit, got to know Katie Mack, got to know Katie Mack's family. And there was something about Katie Mack's family that was just different. She's like, I don't know what it is. I've never seen something like this before. Finally, a conversation with Katie Mack's mom. Katie Mack's mom shared with her. Sue Mack, by the way, this is Mississippi. These are great names, aren't they? sat down and told her about that, who Jesus was. And she made the statement, and Sadie never forgot it, that Jesus was God as a human. And Sadie's sitting there as a, as a little ninth grader going, whoa, whoa, wait a second. If that was true, surely somebody would have told me by now. Which I love, the brilliance of a little freshman that outschools most of us adults in this room. This idea is like, if this is real, God became an actual human being, surely we'd all be talking about that, right? But in that moment, it changed her life. Fast forward that story, Katie Mack actually ended up being uh, the uh, maid of honor in our wedding. I mean, she, she stuck with Sadie all the way through. It was a beautiful story. But the point I'm making is that if we grasped that God himself became one of us, that Jesus wasn't just an interesting teacher, just, not just a spiritual guru, not just had a great bestseller with some good principles, 10 ways to maximize your life, but God, the fullness of God, in him dwelled. The image of the invisible God. We can't see what's invisible, can we? 
And God, for thousands of years, is trying to, ever since mankind rebelled and ran away from him in the garden, that God was trying to get them back, kept showing up in different ways, but knew, ultimately, the mystery that was revealed, that was laid out before the beginning of creation, was that God himself would become, and we could see. I know I've said this over and over again, but if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God talks, listen to how Jesus talks. If you want to know how God treats people, look at how Jesus treated people. Because I think we may have some pretty screwed up images of Jesus, of God, because we don't have a clear picture of Jesus. In fact, what they say one of our most formative ideas about who God is, is our experience with our own fathers. That there are some in this room, maybe many in this room, that are carrying baggage from their past that is distorting their image of God. And what Paul is saying is, wait, 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 don't judge God based on your father. Don't judge God based on your experience with other people that call themselves Christians. Don't judge God based on all of the arguments and politics and division in our world. Judge God on one thing, Jesus. I think sometimes, you know, we may have this idea if, if, if God is shaped by our image of our Father as, as maybe distant or absent, uncaring, we can't rely on. There may be some heart work that we need to do to release some of these ideas that we've been caring about who God is to turn to the truth of who God has revealed himself to be. Some may imagine God as this cosmic Santa Claus. Here's my list. Check it twice. You're going to find out who's naughty and nice. That's a song, in case you were wondering. I didn't just make that up right now. This idea that if I'm good enough, then maybe, you know, God will give me the things that I want. Or maybe I go to God when it's like I really need something right now, God. I'm going to send it your way, and if you could Amazon that to me in two days, that'd be amazing. Some people view God as an angry super cop with a radar gun on the highway of life, just waiting to pull you over and lay down the law. Some of you are walking through this life waiting for the hammer to drop. For God to go, oh, that's it. Cross the line one too many times. Look at Jesus. Some of you view God maybe as like a senile grandpa. I mean, he's sweet. He's out there somewhere. You kiss him on the cheek when you go by, but he's pretty irrelevant and doesn't make sense most of the time. What Colossians make clear is that if we want a clear picture of God, we look to Jesus. So in Colossians, first we see that Jesus is the revealer of God. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Paul continues, not only does he reveal who God is, but because he is God, he's also creator. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. 
The Gospel of John begins with the same declaration that in him everything that was created came to be and nothing was created apart from him. But this is what's amazing. Is he wants us to really get this part. If he created everything, that means that he's over everything. And just to clarify, Paul says, so I'm talking about things in heaven and things on earth. I'm talking about things that are visible and things that are invisible. I'm talking about things that are thrones or that are powers or rulers or all authorities. All these things were created by him and for him. So what's the significance if Jesus created all things? Then he's over all things. And there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in your life that Jesus does not have authority over. And the end will hold to account. I remember we got a phone call, this is a number of years ago, and uh, when we were still at Grace Snellville. And there was a lady who uh, hadn't really been coming to the church, came like once, I think, but was convinced that her house was haunted. And, uh, and uh, would tell these crazy stories about things that were happening in her house. And I mean, so much of, so it was a little bit creepy, you know I mean? Like some of the things that she would describe. And, and then when you actually go into her house, come to find out that she actually uh, practiced in the occult. And so there's a lot of kind of demonic symbolism and uh, just a lot of just darkness. I mean, just a really, really dark place. And, uh, and so, but she was, you know, God was working in her life and she didn't want that anymore. And so she was asking for prayer. I mean, basically she was wanting an exorcism. And, uh, and, and so I remember talking again with Sadie about this right before, about going in and, and just praying over her house and praying for her as she would encounter Jesus and realizing, feeling this, this fear. Like, it's like, this is scary, you know? I mean, the idea of the demonic, the idea of like spiritual powers and, uh, and what does that look like? And I mean, it's mysterious. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that when you've just felt fear even if it doesn't make sense, you know, you find yourself in a, in a dark room or walking down into the basement to go get something or you hear a noise or you watch a scary movie and all those imaginations and they come in and just this fear. But it was in that, in this conversation, standing outside waiting to go into this lady's house that, and kind of knowing some of the stuff that, that she had kind of dabbled in and, and some of the things that she was describing, where it was actually this reality hit me that if Jesus is actually creator and over all things in heaven and on earth, there is nothing that I can face that Jesus doesn't have power over. Demonic, scary people, scary places, scary situations, that Jesus is over them all. And I, if I am with Jesus, then none of those things actually have power over me. Now, I know a story about the demonic or, you know, a haunted house might feel like very irrelevant to your life. Some of you, you can have some experiences that you identify with that. But we all have things in our life that we attribute power to, authority over us. It may be the Dow Jones Index. It may be the who is the reigning political party in our country. It may be 
some religious authority that told you certain things that you have to do and to become to make God happy. There's different things in our lives that we've given authority to. We've given a voice to. And sometimes our, our lives can be held in bondage, slavery, fear to these other powers that we feel like have control of our future, of our well-being, of our identity. And what Paul is saying is, over all of them, Jesus reigns supreme. If there's anything in your life that is holding you hostage, bondage, and slavery to fear, Jesus reigns over it and invites you into freedom with him. So Jesus is revealer. He is creator. And he is the sustainer. Paul continues, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why do our lives fall apart? Why does it feel like at times that we're coming to pieces? Jesus is inviting us into an awareness of his eternal presence that holds our lives together. And surely, if Jesus holds the cosmos together, he can hold you. This past week, there's some, a project that we've been working on in the community for a number of years now. And Finally, it felt like we're starting to see some progress and, and uh, seeing some, you know, breakthrough in this thing. And it just felt like frustration after frustration after frustration. And, and, and finally, some excitement that, you know, maybe we're, we're seeing some progress and we'll see some uh, movement forward. And all of a sudden, like two things in a row felt like it just derailed uh, our plans. And you know that feeling when all of a sudden it just feels like, you know, the carpet gets pulled out from under you? Anyone, like, I feel like just like, ah, oh, are you serious? And that just anxious kind of gut, like, ah, oh, what is happening? I can't control this. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm lost. This is the hope that Jesus invites us into. This is the reality when it moves from just an interesting spiritual idea to the substance of our souls. Is in those moments, the invitation is to come back to God, to come back to Jesus and go, okay, wait, Jesus, it's chaos around me, but center me. You're with me. You're in control. You hold me together. You're my anchor. You're my rock. And literally I had to get on my knees and just remember all right, Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? What do you want me to know? And it's in that place that we find real peace. I mean, it's in that place that we find true freedom. And it's actually from that place of peace and freedom that we can live in joy, even in crises, not in spite of. Jesus is a revealer, creator, sustainer, and he is the leader. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then everything he might be preeminent. And that word preeminent, actually some of your translations may just translate it, he's in first place. 
And actually, when it talks about being firstborn, it, the, the language there isn't like birth order. It's about, uh, about prestige and ranking. In other words, firstborn doesn't mean he was the first one created because Paul's clear elsewhere that he created everything. He was before everything. He's the eternal God. So it's not like there was God and then Jesus was born. Jesus was God with God from the beginning. But he's firstborn in that he is number one, top ranked, the most significant, the most important. In ancient cultures, the firstborn is the one that had the inheritance. He owned all the land. The future was in him. He was in charge. What he said went. The firstborn had power. And so Paul is saying, who is the firstborn of creation? Who is the firstborn of the universe that has all the power, that owns all the land, that's in control? Jesus. And this Jesus that was the creator of everything, that holds everything together, that owns everything, that is in charge of everything, sees you and knows you and loves you. He is for you. He wants the best in your life and from your life. And sometimes the best for your life doesn't look like what we think it should look like. But you know what? He knows more than we do. He's smarter than we are. He knows what crooked, crazy path is going to actually get us to where we want to go. Can you trust him? He's a good leader. And he's the leader of this church. I mean, I have a title. I'm the lead pastor. But I'm not the leader of this church. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is. And this church isn't this building or these buildings. The church isn't this hour that we come together and worship and open the word and remember the important things and see each other. You're the church. I'm the church. We are. We are the church, God's people together, filled with his presence, living in his power. We are the church, whether we are in a living room or in this room. We are the church, whether we're walking down a road or we're singing a worship song. We are God's, the revelation of Jesus Christ here on earth, his church, and he is the head. He's our leader. Who are you going to for guidance and direction in your life? Who's the boss of your life? I mean, Jesus is the true boss. And any other subordinate we go to, we're selling ourselves short. Because Jesus himself said, listen, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And in fact, I'm going away, it's better for you. Because when I go away, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you my spirit to be in you. To be your counselor, to be your guide. The leader of creation is inviting you to let him be the leader of your life. And he wants to talk to you. So Jesus is the revealer. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the leader. And finally, he is the reconciler, the peacemaker. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. To be reconciled, to be brought back into relationship. That's what Jesus is doing. 
There are a lot of things that are going on in our world in the name of Jesus that is actually creating fear and division. That is not how Jesus works. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. That is not what shows up in the gospel. That is not what Paul declares. When Jesus is at work in this world, it brings healing, it brings freedom, it brings peace, it brings confidence, it removes fear, and it reconciles. It brings back into harmony and relationship. First and foremost, reconciliation with the God of this universe. We are now adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And then secondly, reconciled one to another as humans on this planet. Many children from different mothers that the kingdom of God looks as diverse as God's creation here on earth. Different viewpoints, different opinions, different skin colors, different cultures. That God is reconciling all people back to himself and together as one. That's the work of Jesus in this world. And that's the work that he's inviting us into. In fact, as a church, we say our mission statement, pursuing God's heart for the restoration of all things. Restoring relationship, restoring hope, restoring dreams, restoring community, restoring marriages, restoring family, restoring oneness with God and with one another. I invite the band to come on up as we'll close and worship together. But my challenge for us as we dig into God's word this week is to ask yourself, what do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? It's the question that Jesus asked Peter, the most important question. Who do you say that I am? And honestly, sometimes it helps to start backwards. Just get practical for you. Here's a question to ask. What do I regularly struggle with or get stressed out by? Just right now, not hypothetically, and don't answer for your spouse. For you. What do I regularly struggle with and get stressed out by? And then work backwards from there. What am I believing in that situation? About God, about myself, about this world? What is the lie that I'm believing? And then we confess that. And we ask God to replace that with his truth. That Jesus is enough. That Jesus is powerful. That he's present and available. That he's the point of everything. That he is the direction of my life, my purpose, and my priority. That he is the one who sustains me. He's the one who knows me because he created me. That he will provide. That he cares about me. That he knows what's best. That he's never left me or abandoned me. That every one of his promises will come to pass. That I can trust him. That what he offers as a life is better than any of the counterfeits that I could come up with for myself. 
What do you believe about Jesus? And where have you seen the reality of this reality that Paul declares? The shoreline that Paul points to through the fog. Where has that been at work in your life? Where have you experienced Jesus as your sustainer? How do you know him as your creator? Where has Jesus shown up as your reconciler, your peacemaker? So my prayer for us as his church, like Paul, is that we would get a clear picture of Jesus and getting a picture of Jesus, it would change our lives. That even this morning, he would, invest, he would place into us, breathe into us a deeper awareness of who he is. So I invite you in the same way that Paul began this passage with this language of communion as we take part in this weekly reminder that together we are the body of Christ. But first and foremost, it was his body that was given for us. And so I invite you to take communion. This symbol of his presence his forgiveness, his grace. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took that bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So church, I invite you to eat this symbol, reminder of God's body given for you. May he sustain you, strengthen you, Hold you close. Take, eat, in remembrance of Christ. And then Jesus held that cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's a church. I invite you to take this symbol, this reminder of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that you could be cleansed, washed, purified, and brought back into intimate relationship with the God of this universe. Take, drink, and do so in remembrance of him. In Christ, you are forgiven. You are free. So Lord, thank you for your work in us and for us. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and that you keep showing up. God, if there's anyone here that their life feels overwhelmed or they're holding on to fears and doubts, I pray that even right now, would you speak through, would you cut through that fog and speak a word of life and peace into their soul. Lord, if there's anyone here holding on to guilt or shame, the baggage and brokenness of their past, may we lay that at the cross and receive the forgiveness that you offer so we can stand up free. If there's anyone here that's feeling broken, You are the one that brings healing and wholeness. Would you meet them even right now 
in miraculous ways in bodies and minds and souls. It's all about you, Jesus. Will you convince us of that fact? Amen. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.